0: Very few people wake up in the morning and think to themselves, do you know what I want to do today? I want to be very judgmental. I want to go out and judge everyone around me. I want to make sure that they see every single thing wrong. Like, that's not what we, you know, most people who we know are judgmental, and I think everybody knows someone who's judgmental. Um, it's, it's, it's always other people, right? It's definitely, <laughs> it's definitely other people. But, you know, it's not like a self-reference kind of thing. It's not like, it's like, oh, yes, I'm a very judgmental person. Hi, it's like, hi, my name is Wilson. I'm judgmental. How are you doing today? <laughs> but that's not, you know, that's not how how it works. And oftentimes, you know, we think about, you know, people in our life that are probably a little judgy. It's like, why can't they just be so judgy? Why can't they just let me be me? (laughs) Let me just live a little bit. The connotation of judgment in the English language is is a unique one. Um, Many other languages do not have the same connotation of of judgment. As I I mentioned many times before, the word in Greek for for justice and righteousness is the same word. Diakosune. And so um, if I wake up in the morning, it's like, I'm going to live a righteous life today. That's, that sounds good, right? It's different than if I'm going I'm to go and be judgmental today. That doesn't, that doesn't have the same, same feel for it. But what's implied in English is not just judgment, but bad judgment. <laughs> judgmental people aren't people who have really discerning tastes. They have really bad, bad tastes. They're judging with incomplete information. They're judging without understanding a situation they're putting themselves into position they do not belong it is it is the qualitative aspect of it the good or the bad it's like with evangelism evangelism is not a bad thing bad evangelism is bad it's good to share the good news of jesus christ to share that you are forgiven that you are loved that you have a purpose that you are not your worst mistakes that you are belong to god that's that's good to share it's not good to say, like, oh, you shouldn't do that or say that or talk to those people and you're, I think you're going to hell. Like, that's not, that's not helpful. That doesn't, that's not what Jesus says. That doesn't point to the God who is love. Judge not, lest ye be judged. One of those great King James phrases is about the final destination of other people and putting ourselves, ourselves into a position of going, like, heaven, hell, hell, heaven, hell, hell, hell. Like, that's not... You all know who you are. (laughs) Instead, we're called to look inward to respond to God in our life. To not think about this us versus them as this primary way of of seeing the world, but to look at ourselves. Where is there love in your heart? Our judge is coming, but not like the judges we're used to. Of course, some judges are good, but but a lot of times judges too. <laughs> it's a very inside joke. Um, <laughs> judges come, like judges that we see in this today have incomplete information, and they come to cases in different ways with different situations. It's very different than the judgment and the justice that is coming with Jesus Christ. My friends, we are continuing our series on the art of waiting, the series of Advent and understanding that waiting. Is a habit and a practice. It's not just this passiveness. It's not just boredom. There is a habit of waiting in art. Nor are there people who are naturally gifted at waiting. That person, he's a really gifted waiter. Like, that's not, that's not something. Waiting is an act of faith. Today's message is called wheat and chaff. But it might as well be called judgment because... One of the ways in which we practice the art of waiting is through judgment. Or to use a word with a better connotation, through discernment. Through discernment. Through the discernment of others, but also through the discernment of ourselves. In the gospel today, John the Baptist mentions the wheat and the chaff. Wheat and chaff are not separate. If you look at the front of your bulletin, there's a picture of of a full head of wheat. Wheat. And it shows with the chaff on it, the chaff is that kind of paper-like substance that surrounds the wheat berry. And so down below are the wheat berries that that's what's crushed up to make flour or cooked to make awesome stew. Wheat berry stew is amazing because it doesn't soften up, it's fantastic. But you can't really eat the chaff. The chaff is inedible. It's kind of like eating if you eat some paper. Like I've never done that before, but I can assume it doesn't taste that good. You just kind of chew and gnaw and it's probably even worse because it doesn't dissolve in your mouth. I would not recommend eating chaff, but that's the point. You know, you want to, when you're making food, you want to have the food that you can eat. And the stuff you can eat, you want to separate. But the wheat and the chaff, they grow together. Oftentimes, this message, this third Sunday in Lent, is preached as an us versus them. As a kind of, okay, here, here is the us, and there is, there is the them. And this gets back to sometimes with that word judgment. Oftentimes in churches and around the world, Christians have this connotation of being judgy. Like, oh, those Christians, they're a little judgy. I don't know if I can go to that church. They may look at me funny. They may not like my shoes or something like that. You know, in this kind of way that, of course, there's cases of this, but this is not... When, Jesus, when John the Baptist talks about wheat and chaff, he's not trying to separate the good shoes from the bad shoes. Like, that's not the goal of what he is doing. The life of faith is not about separating ourselves from others. The chaff in our life are not the people that bring us down. The chaff are the habits and dispositions in our own hearts that keep us from love. And so how can I align myself with the good wheat of God's love? That is the question for us. And not the the chaff of sin and self-destruction that separates me from my neighbor. Am I the person threshing or am I the one being threshed, it's a fantastic word, just say it, thresh, (laughs) it's a great word. Um, So threshing, the threshing floor is when they separated in the ancient ways of the wheat from the chaff, and it would usually be really high up on a hillside, and so it would be kind of windy, and you'd have the winnowing fork to kind of separate it out, but you'd throw the wheat down and mix it up and the wind would blow the chaff away. And so if you're the one, if you're the one threshing, you're the one, throwing the wheat down, you're the one knowing where it's going. If you're the one being threshed, you're being thrown down. <laughs> I would much rather throw down than be thrown down. I don't know about you. But that's a question for us. The question is, how, like, how can we practice good judgment? How do we not respond passively to the desires of our hearts and the responses, our responses to this world? How can we practice good discernment in this time of waiting? What are the ways of looking at our lives without feeling bad or thinking about the ways that we fall short of the expectations we have of ourselves or expectations we think others have of us? This happens to me. I'm sure it happens to many of you. How can we look at our lives to see the possibilities of growth, of love? How can we see the life of faith as not as something that's just a lot of pep talks, but a true source of hope? How can we discern the wheat of the acts of love in our life from the chaff of our actions that are not based on love? One way is through our relationships, through conversations. God uses our conversations. As humans, we are relational. We are not isolated. Our reasoning, our self-narration does not come in isolation from people in our life. That means we need people in our lives. We need people who we can talk to about real things. The writer Edith Stein once, said, once talked about how it's really important that you can't see the back of your own head. Because you, you can't, you physically can't. Like, even in a mirror, it's like really funky and really hard. You get like three mirrors, there's a lot of distortion. You need other people to tell you what's going on in the back of your head. As a, as a pastor, I need, I need the people to tell me what's going on with the back of my alb. Because sometimes it's up and down and such and such. Like, people looking out looking at you, taking care of you. But that means a certain level of vulnerability. To have a conversation about a real subject means opening yourself up. And vulnerability, by definition, means the opportunity for some kind of abuse. Whenever you are vulnerable, someone can abuse that. It takes trust in others. It takes discernment to know who are the people whom you can trust to open yourself up to. Because in that vulnerability, God can enter in through the insights of those around you, through your own insights. For me, sometimes if I can share and be honest with another person, I can figure out what's going on already in my own life. I don't need them to tell me an answer. I just need someone to talk to. Augustine talks about this with prayer, that God does not need us to tell God what's going on. God already knows. (laughs) The point of prayer is not that we are informing God about the things that are going on in our life. The point of prayer is that in speaking, we find more of who we are. Mm -hmm. In speaking out loud and speaking in our hearts and speaking in our minds and saying like, God, this is what matters to me. And then you realize, oh my gosh, this matters to me. Oh my gosh, I am really sad that this may happen. And then you realize, gosh, that is breaking my heart. And this dialogical relationship shapes us that God responds and speaks to us through this. We need to get outside of ourselves to find ourselves. And when we get outside of ourselves, we find more of what God has for us. In loving others, we realize that we are loved. In speaking, we realize that we are worthy of being heard. And in listening, we remember that we are not the center of the universe. Who is someone who you can share anything with? Real things, deep things, not superficial things, not who's coming this Christmas, but how is it with your soul? What is going on? As well, we cannot just keep the gaze on ourselves but must de-center ourselves with our neighbors because there are people who look up to you. Each of you. There are people who look up to you and trust you. And sometimes it may be seeking you out as a source. As a source of holy conversation. Not as dispensaries of advice. The world has enough advice. It's okay. Everybody does, If someone asks you a question, you may not need to answer it. It's okay. Sometimes just responding, just saying, I hear you means so much. And God can speak through that. We need people willing to take the time to break bread together. To have coffee together. To share about real things together. How is it with your soul? When was the last time you asked someone that question, how is it with your soul? How are you really feeling? Feel free to share with me. I want to encourage you all this week before Christmas. Everybody, I'm sure, has like a list, 15 pages long, of all the things you need to do. I'm giving you one more thing. (laughs) I want you to find at least 30 minutes to find someone whom you can trust and you can share with. And you can ask them, how is it with your soul? And you will listen to them. And they will ask you, how is it with your soul? And you will take that time. If someone is here today who you trust, schedule that time. Prioritize it. Make a time that you can be open with another. That's how we practice this habit of waiting. So we can discern what is really going on in our hearts. So that, that is one of the first steps. We talk to people. What John Wesley called holy conversations. He called us a means of grace. Like communion and baptism, God speaks to us when we are talking about real things with people in our life. And it's, it may be tricky. It's not how we're naturally habituated to. Most, most human interactions are naturally we, we kind of glide on the surface. It's like this wonderful ice skating rink. We're able to move and shift and go and just like get it just a little bit here and a little bit there. But you've got to dig in a little bit. And when you dig in, God will respond to be present with you. God will be present with you. Another way that I want to encourage this season is journaling. The journaling, for some of us, may seem like the thing high school students do to write down about their crushes. They may be, but it is not. Journaling is a deeply spiritual practice. It is wonderful and beautiful. Sometimes in journaling is the opportunity to ask ourselves that question. How is it with your soul? And you have to write something down. You're kind of stuck with the pen and the blank paper. Sometimes it can be a notebook. Sometimes it can be a phone. It is taking the time to be with God and to write down what matters to you. And then you have to stare at it and see, oh my gosh, this matters to me. And you realize that. To begin to be comfortable looking inward so that you can see that you are a child of God. That you are loved, that you are forgiven, yet still there is going to be some chaff that needs to be threshed. And if you don't look inward, if you don't take the time to practice this art of waiting, that chaff is going to begin to take up most of you. It already is so easy for the chaff in our life to take up our time, to suck our time. It is going to keep you from loving your neighbor. It is going to keep you from loving God. It is going to limit limit who you can be. We don't need limits on God's grace in our life. As Isaiah says, sing to the Lord, draw water with joy. When you're drawing water from a stream or a spring, it's a taxing thing. I don't know how many of you have ever done that, have like walked to the spring to get water to cook with. It's usually you need a lot more. It's really heavy. I've only done it camping and so I've only been cooking for myself and so but it's usually like you walk like a half mile down the hill, go to the spring, you have your like half gallon pitcher, which a half gallon weighs about eight pounds, you have to carry that, and then you have to carry it back up. And it's, it's taxing. If you do that, imagine doing that every day or three times a day. You have the same walk where you're drawing water. It can be easily something that you don't draw water with joy, right? Like it's not, it's kind of like the dishes or the laundry. Like, think about that. Like, think about the dishes in your house or the laundry or your yard and, like, the things that you have to do every day. You know you have to do them. But it's like, I'm doing it, but this is not a joy-bringing thing. (laughs) But this is what Isaiah is talking about. Isaiah is saying, do the things of your life with joy because God is real and God is coming. Draw water with joy. Even if you may not believe in God or God seems really distant to you right now. When we practice the art of waiting, we practice seeing that God is closer to us than we are to ourselves. We are not left to wait by just twiddling our thumbs or just like refreshing Twitter or whatever we do in the meantime. We are not left at all. God offers us the practice of an art of waiting in this time between resurrection and return. And it's because in waiting, we look inward to see how, redder, how ready we are for life with God. How is it with your soul? How full is your heart with love? Do not despair if you look inward and do not like what you find, because God is there. And even when we are prodigal to God, when we run away from love, God still welcomes us home with a feast. You are loved, you are forgiven. You are not the worst thing you've done. You are a child of God made for love. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.